Hello and welcome back to Users First. I'm your host, Alessio Ferracuti, UX designer and podcasters at Users First. And today I'm joined by Paul Boschiers, lead user experience researcher at Verizon Connect. And if you're enjoying this episode, like you have done with the rest of the episodes, you can go to my website, UsersFirstPodcast.com, and you can buy me a cup of coffee, which would be highly appreciated if you want me to keep going with these episodes. Before we jump in, a little bit about Paul and uh, you know and his background. Not only is he a very successful uh, lead UX researcher, but he's also an award-winning designer, a PhD technologist, an internationally recognized researcher, and author of a number of highly cited reviewed articles about addiction, neuroethics, and neurotechnologies. I hope I pronounced that well. Neu- neuroethics, yeah. <laughs> Thanks yeah, for joining us, Paul. <laughs> Thank you, Alessio. It's uh, it's really a pleasure um, and a privilege to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, cheers, my man. I, pre- I appreciate it so much. Uh, tell tell me a bit more about um, about the citations that you got in in the magazines because uh, uh, when I was uh, when I was on your website, I saw that um, that you have been a, you and your team of researchers have been awarded by uh, Design Magazine. Mm. Yeah, I have a really. Uh, I, I hope that this is inspiring or, or confidence inducing for, for your audience. I, I have a very atypical career. I did not set out uh, to become um, a user experience researcher or designer. Um, I never thought of myself as a designer until at some point I realized that that's what other people were calling me and, and suggesting to me that I explore. Um, but I've been very fortunate, I think, throughout my life to um, have found really um, creative and, um, collaborative people, um, to, to work with. Uh, and I think that, um, I've just been at the right place, um, with the right set of, um, words (laughs) to, uh, to work with those folks. And, um, yeah, it's sometimes it's, it's led to some really fun activities. Um, and sometimes people want to talk to me about it and I, I'm really grateful to them. Excellent. Yeah, that's excellent, man. And, uh, you know, uh, You've you've done you've done a lot in the community. That's pretty impressive, and that's why I wanted to to have you on the podcast today because there is a lot of uh, ambitious researchers and designers that listen to this podcast, and um and, and they want to get uh, tips and um and tricks on how to get into the field in the best possible ways. And a lot of the questions that I usually get is from people that have degrees. Yeah, you know, they have degrees in psychology and philosophy, uh, you know, in other in other backgrounds as well, even marketing and so on. And they're they're struggling to get into UX, and and uh, and they don't really understand how to leverage their degrees to 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 make these careers uh, step up. Do you have any you know Do you have any tips on um on uh, on how to transition from from academia? Uh, to to UX research. Oh yeah, I well yeah, for sure yeah, and you know f- definitely I have been that person. And so again, I hope that this is um, in- confidence inducing or or in- inspiring, um, because it I, I very much resonates with me. I, I to full disclosure, I didn't know that user experience was a thing. I didn't know I the first time I heard UX, I asked that person, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> And they started describing what they did. And I said, oh, that makes a lot of sense. I do all of those things. But in my the current industry that I had been in at that time, I was, um, I was a, a, a professor. Uh, at that time, uh, all those activities that a UX 
designer or a UX researcher for that matter, though all those activities that they do were really sort of split out into different um, uh, disciplines or different kinds of specialties. And to do all of them all at once would have seemed kind of counterproductive um, uh, for someone's career. So it was really great to hear from somebody that, no, actually you can marry all of these things together and um, have really, you know, do really interesting, impactful work um, and have a lot of fun doing it. Um, so I definitely resonate with that question. How do I make that transition, right? Do I have to have, for example, a PhD? And um, to that last one, no, I don't, you do not need a PhD to do this work. I think uh, earning a PhD is um, great preparation for a lot of different things that one could do. Um, but you certainly don't need a PhD to do great UX research or, or UX design for that matter. Um, a PhD just, uh, and I won't belabor this point, but a PhD truly is just a, um, it's a research degree. Like it becomes, it's a degree that, uh, it's a program that transforms a, a normal human being into a research Olympian, basically. <laughs> like it just becomes second nature to do research. Yeah, and I think folks who complete PhDs typically have, just research as like their first impulse. Like, I don't understand what this is and I'm now going to structure a way to understand it better. Um, and then they just sort of set off uh, uh, on that program that they devised for themselves, which is handy if you want to get into this field because that's of course what we do as UX researchers or it's definitely of course a part of the UX um, design process, right? That's I think the big difference between being a a UX designer versus a, a visual designer or graphic designer is that the UX designer grounds a lot of their decisions in the empirical evidence that they gather through their research activities, typically at the outset of the process. Um, but yeah, yeah, um, I, yeah, for sure. When so when folks ask me, how do I break into this? I think doing exactly this, what you and I are doing here, I think is that's my number one piece of uh, uh, my my number one bit of advice is to just meet somebody who does the work already and have, a com have an authentic conversation with them. Uh, I emphasize the authentic part there because, and I think this is true for anybody um, on a job search, regardless of the industry, that uh, it's kind of like dating, uh, if I may. It's been a while since I've been dating, so maybe I'm speaking <laughs> out the side of my neck when I say that, but- I see my the analogy. <laughs> but yeah, you know what I mean? Like. Um, in, if I go on a date with somebody, I sit down um, and I don't five minutes into the conversation ask, so are we getting married? You know, uh, you know, so I wouldn't do the same thing meeting somebody at a networking context, you know, like, do you have a job for me? I'm here to talk to you about the job I want, you know, instead, just, you know, and I'm sorry, this may be a longer answer than you had, uh, than you were hoping, but you, you, um, you brought a good point. You brought a good point. You know what? Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm doing mentorships for people and I, and I, you know, I help people get into UX design and, and let a job in user experience design. And I hate when people get to talk to me and they, they want to get something out of me right away. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not like the reason why you're meeting with people is because eventually you want to, you want, there has to be an exchange of knowledge, right? You want to get something out of me. Sure. A hundred percent. But can you please do it in a genuine way and like be interested about what I do and the person that I am and not just getting that information out of me and use me and take advantage of me. I understand what you're saying. It's, it's like dating. When you, when you go into dating, you need to build rapport with a person. You need to build some kind of relationship and trust and be generally interested. You can pretend to have someone to get something out of it right away. 
just like in business, like a like yeah. a like a product can't expect something out of customers right away. You need to give them something, right? You need to give them some free trials. You need to right. You need to build that relationship. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate that you emphasize the relationship there because I think it's also, I guess, to just continue to work in these um, metaphors or these analogies, it is also to make a transition from one industry into another, regardless of which industries we're leaving or going into. There is also, it is a bit like, um, it is a bit like acquiring um, a new language, right? Uh, uh, we have, it's best to, when I try to acquire a new language, I, it's best that I go and sit among the people who speak that language and hear how they describe things um, and practice using that language myself to talk about what I'm up to. And so it is this kind of relationship uh, that, uh, is I think um, more about being reciprocal, like having reciprocity between us. Like I am, I am learning even just in having conversation with, with you, Alessio, I'm learning something about um, your part of um, where you're located about the, you know, you were telling me earlier that you live near a stadium. So I'm learning a little bit about um, a part of the world that you're in and um, I'm enriched by that. I'm expanded by that. And even just having that appreciation, I think, is the beginning of a good kind of um, networking relationship with somebody, right? Like it is just to your point, building that rapport and um, yeah, having that just sense of, uh, I think, appreciation helps a lot because I think it's also useful when we're searching for our next job or moving from one industry to another. It's also a storytelling activity. You know, um, we are trying to make sense of I started here at point A, and now I'm heading towards point D. Along the way, it was points B and C. But it, as you know, from just reflecting on your own life, I'm sure, like, it's not exactly a straight line. Like, it's often very convoluted with lots of switchbacks. But when we tell stories, it can only go from A to B to C to D, right? Sometimes we go D C, B, A, but it's always in this very linear manner. And if, if, if I tell my story too, in too much of a convoluted way, the audience loses interest. They don't want to hear the story anymore. And I'm probably not going to get a job interview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that energy right there. Yeah, that's a very good point. And uh, that, that, that's a completely another episode for job interviews on, mm -hmm. on how you should approach them. Mm -hmm. That's why, uh, related to what you were saying, like uh, be generally, in, generally interested in, um, in the people that you're speaking to that also applies to job interviews, be generally interested in the company that you're applying to and um, be, be very concise and, and, uh, and, and, um, and careful about the things that you say. So uh, just to wrap up what Paul said right there, basically a way to move from academia to UX research is not just about the degree itself, the PhD, the, uh, the course that you're taking in, uh, in, uh, in, um, in UX research, but um, it's also about, uh, you can do it by, by speaking to people, by, by speaking to people that are in the field. So getting different points of views, different perspectives from uh, people that are already UX researchers and trying to make your own path. Speak to different experienced people like Paul, like other senior UX researchers, get their point of view, their, get their perspectives on how you should approach this transition and make your own path. There is no A to B to C. You can do A to D or A to F or whatever other things. You can make your own path. It's true. And I think... 
Um, I think for, I think one of the challenges that people who have really advanced training, like folks who get terminal degrees, whether that's an MFA or an MBA or, or a PhD and so on, I think one of the challenges is that we become so specialized as we become, you know, to earn those degrees, um, you often become like the world's leading expert on that topic, whatever it is. Um, it becomes really hard to remember that this is just one very small sliver of the world. There is this whole other world outside. Um, and so I think when I meet with folks who are making a transition, I, I often try to um, just have them reflect on all of the skills that they've cultivated um, in, their, in their last previous years um, and, and see the value that that brings by translating it into another context. Again, that kind of acquiring another language kind of activity. Like there is a lot of translation at the heart of what UX researchers do, just full stop, right? I, I joke with people that um, my job is uh, basically a professional gossip, you know, because um, I do like what we're doing here today, right? Like uh, I set up an interview with somebody and I, I prepare some questions and, um, we start talking and uh, I gather the insights I do from that, uh, from that exchange and then have to reflect for a while and then translate it for my cross-functional team, um, which usually includes people from the product development team, developers, you know, maybe people who are engineers uh, that are working on the hardware itself, some, you know, um, people in marketing and so on, trying to just help them develop um, a more intimate understanding from their from from our customers or our users. Um, what's it like to be in their shoes? You know, mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of translation has to happen uh, in, in that regard. Yeah, that's one of the, the the most important skills of becoming a UX researcher. That you're not just there sitting down doing research, learning about people, and then you know you make a pretty document and that you send it to whoever you have to send it to. But once you get into um, user experience design, uh, product design, as a UX researcher, you have to be able to transform those insights into um, product opportunities that will make the business generate more um, revenue. And that's one of the main principles of um, lean UX design and lean approaches. And I think I've, I've seen it from uh, one of your buyers that, uh, that you actually do follow that approach in your company. Yeah, we do. Um, you know, there, of course, there's always, um, there's always going to be a spectrum of adherence to these different work methodologies, whether that's agile or lean or, or even waterfall, right? Like um, there will be pockets, depending on how large um, or how robust your organization is, um, there will be pockets of people practicing, uh, for lack of a better term, I guess, heterodox versions of um, of what those work methodologies mean. And what I, what I mean by heterodox here is uh, there will be folks who will think that they're operating within, you know, within an agile framework and then, um, you know, you, you can pull out the manifesto and say like, well, it looks like we're not quite adhering to each of these principles. And of course that's, that's natural. This is, it's, I think this is also what I find very rewarding about being in UX research, particularly is that um, I see, I see a lot of continuity between my work as an academic when I was um, 
uh, doing my research in that environment and, and doing my teaching there, I see a lot of actually continuity between those activities in that in that institutional framing in the university context. I see a lot of continuity outside of that institution with, with the teams that I work with and with people I just, I just meet in the world. Uh, that continuity being um, that people people are, well, one, they're interesting, but two, we, we have cultures, right? Like culture is what we do with the stuff around us. And so there, there will be a lot of slippage between, there will be the document that everybody refers to. Like in this case, we're talking about the agile manifesto for how you go about doing work as a team. There'll be a lot of slippage between the document itself, that object, and how people actually work with that object. And that's okay. That's totally, that's totally natural. I think for us, uh, particularly in the UX or experience research, our, we are, our val here, here's how we express our, I think our value is that we understand that our role is not to have not necessarily the truth, or the answer, although we some you know we do operate on principles of what is true and look for answers, but I think we also have to concede that like well, what is true and what the correct answer is is not necessarily what the business needs at this moment. What this business needs at this moment is somebody who can give them good counsel, give them good advice about how to proceed. Just like what you were saying a minute ago, like how do we proceed here, right? Because it's very nebulous. Do we sell a product that we can sell with a really high profit margin? but it's a terrible product. And three months later, people are gonna hate us. You know, we could sell a lot of them, but then we've burned that relationship, right? Like nobody's going to wanna to do business with us anymore because we've, we've just been strictly transactional with them. Wouldn't it be a better, smarter, more sustainable and more rewarding enterprise for both us as the business and also for the people who want to have that business relationship with us if we made things that enhanced our experiences with one another, right? Like I want to help people have more meaning, meaningful and more purposeful lives. And sometimes that can be, that can happen sometimes by just understanding what their purpose was to begin with. Like they, they're in business, not only to make money, sure they wanna make money of course, but they also want to do X, Y, and Z. I'm, my job is to understand what X, Y, and Z might entail and then help us facilitate that is that, that too optimistic? <laughs> Am I too idealistic? <laughs> well, I think I think you are, yeah. But <laughs> but it depends, like what kind of mindset you you go you go uh, you go with into your job. And I think I think you're you're going into your job with the with with the right mindset of a researcher. But not everybody not everybody thinks in the same way. Mm -hmm. In the way you think it, it's um it's a type of mindset that you develop after many years of experience and um, and dealing with cross-functional teams and not, not many people have the luxury of that so uh, you know like if i was someone uh, just starting out and listening to this podcast uh, one couple of things that I would get out of out of this episode would be that you know if i wanted to make a transition to ux research I guess the biggest thing is networking so getting to know the people the people that are actually more experienced than you um start start picking their brains so what kind of things can you do to actually make this transition in a successful way and how can you enhance the customer experience once you start working in ux research so not just doing your job as a researcher but actually advocating for product opportunities in within the business and how do you find the right job opportunity paul 
like, mm. you know, I thought I said I was interested in UX research and, uh, and I wanted to find a job, right? So I started networking, I started speaking to people, I started getting mentorships on the ADP list. How do I find the right job opportunity? Because there is a ton, a ton, literally a ton of days of job opportunities yeah. on LinkedIn or Indeed.com, on, um, on Slack channels or anywhere. But how do I know which, uh, which job opportunity is right for me? That's a, yeah, oh, that's, that really cuts to the heart of it, doesn't it? That's, that's a, that's a good question, Alessia. I'm glad you asked that. Thank you. Um, I, I, here again, I see some continuity between my previous industry when I was uh, in, in academia and I was a professor and, and here uh, in, in, in uh, experience research um, or tech broadly, uh, that the, the, I think it's similar trouble. Like when, when somebody is a student, many people go to school, you don't, again, you don't have to get a PhD to go into UX research. You don't, I don't even know if you necessarily need to have an undergraduate degree. Um, not necessarily. I think it does help. Um, but when, when we're in that role as a student, one of the big challenges, I think that we often don't, I don't think we often recognize, but I think it's an important conversation that we should have with ourselves and with um, the people around us. As a student, you cannot know who is the good teacher, right? Because by definition, you're a student, how would you know, right? And it's similar, I think, to the question you're asking here. Like, um, how do I know that this is the right job? Like, there are many jobs, to your point. There are many out there. How do I know this is the right job for me? And I think for both the student and for the, the person on the job search, I think the way we, the way we go finding that answer or, or the most appropriate answer to that question, I think, is through observing observing the people that would be our teachers, observing the people that would be our teammates. So in the case of the, uh, the student and the teacher, right? Like, well, is this teacher um, very, very poorly communicating? Are they like sleeping with their students? Are they like belittling everyone around them? Would I really want to model myself after that person? Mm -hmm. Now, for some people, maybe, maybe they find that thrilling. They say, yeah, I totally want to be like that guy. Others may say, no, I don't want to be like that. Similarly with um, where we want to work next. Now, I will concede that it's easy to talk about this when I am currently employed, right? And all of my bills are being paid. It's easy for me to say like, well, I'm going to spend some time and just observe casually what people are like on this team. Uh, I've definitely not always had that luxury right? Or that privilege. Um, there have been times in my life when I just simply had to have this job. And I have an extensive collection of hairnets and name tags that would, um, that have informed my thinking about how to go about getting my next job. Um, I, it, but I think this is also works or dovetails nicely or, or syncs or aligns nicely with the last bit of advice about networking and the value of networking and doing so in an authentic manner. When I meet with people um, who are working in the field, uh, I try to understand what are their um, what are their frustrations, what do they regret about working where they work? You know, what is it that the that they love about what they do? You know, what's something that they were excited about doing recently? Those all help me understand the spectrum of uh, the lived experience of working on that team and working in this industry, and that's very helpful. And and also, people love to talk about themselves. Look at me; I'm on your show because I love talking about myself, <laughs> right? But it's, but it's a gift um, that you offer um, to both the folks that you bring on, you know, to be this host, but also it's a gift that you offer to your audience, right? Like your, your um, I think I, I really, well, I really appreciate that as well. And I think that in this regard, your, 
what you're doing with this podcast, I think is a good model for others to observe and to try to emulate, right? That we should listen to each other. Like we have two ears, but one mouth for a good reason, right? I love that analogy, man. Yeah, that's one of the best things. Uh, I always say that we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You should listen to more uh, than mm-hmm. you speak to. But it's hard sometimes because like, we're, we're very tempted as human beings uh, to, to, to talk about stuff. Um, but we should be learning from other people. So I, I love what you said. Uh, you know, uh, so for the people that wanted to get into UX research and, um, and make this transition, basically they should uh, learn how to network. Um, they should learn how to network, empathize with the people that you're reaching out to, um, enhance the customer experience once you're um, going into a job. So not just doing your job as a researcher, but also doing that, that, that extra activity of finding product opportunities. And in the end, once you start working or once you are on the, on the job, uh, on the, on the job search uh, process, look for a mentor, look for someone that you can look up to who and what do you want to become in the next couple of years, two, three years. Is the person a role model that you can uh, that you look up to? If not, then you found the wrong person to be working with, and you should change your job position. Is that the strong of <laughs> should change think, your job well, position? No, I think that's the yeah. I think you've got I think you've got the the spirit of it. Yeah, for sure. That like if in these in these early conversations with people in these networking activities, like if we notice that like this person is very unhappy or they're very short. Um, like they're curt with me or something like that. Um, those could be strong indicators. They could be, they could also just be, it's awkward, right? It's awkward to talk to strangers. As adults, it's at least here in the US, I'm, I, here I'll be hopelessly parochial and I apologize if it's, if it's different in other parts of the world. But here in the US, it's very hard for adults to meet other adults unless it's in maybe a church, maybe at work. Usually the last friend you make is in, is in a university kind of a setting, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's in a school setting. So, so it can be awkward, of course, to do the networking, right? People can be short with us. They can be awkward. Um, so it might be a false signal, right? Maybe actually they're very lovely and they love what they do. It's, 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 so we benefit from, I think in that, again, I think that's why being authentic about it is helpful because, okay, if I was purely transactional, well, if I was purely transactional about meeting with these people, then I might only interact with them to the point that I get the information I want and then leave them alone. And that's, mm-hmm. that's I think we're, we, it, it, I don't think that that's, um, I don't think that's the best way that we, we do this work. I think it is about building a relationship over time. Now, time is a premium. I know that we don't always have a whole lot of time, but we're talking about your future. You know, like we're talking about where you're going to spend 40 to, I mean, some people may want to work 60 hours a week, right? It's, it's up to you, I suppose. Uh, but if you're going to invest all that time and energy with these people, it's really to your advantage to consider, well, what kind of person will I be like at the end of this? It will probably be very similar to the person you're talking to. Uh, and so it's, it's worth your time to get to know them a bit. Um, my last job, in fact, that was precisely what the person who hired me told me. They said, we gave, you know, it, it would be easy to hire you because you've come to know everybody on our team and it would just be so easy to work with you. And I think that's uh, the, the, the ideal advice uh, that I would give to anybody is like, get to know the people on the team. You know, uh, the way I did that, by the way, I, I suppose it's, it's only fair to like talk a little bit about, well, what's the actual technique for doing this, right? How do you actually go about doing this kind of thing, right? How do I 
properly network. Uh, in my case, LinkedIn was very helpful because um, for me, I knew that I wanted to meet, it, well, it starts with reflecting on who you are. You have to also do the work and reflect on yourself. I knew for me, I had this background in, you know, in academia, I had a PhD. I wanted to talk with other people who had a common experience with me. I wanted to know other people who had made the same transition I was attempting to make. So I began reaching out to my own, my own network saying like, does anybody know anybody who made this transition? And friends of friends were introduced to me. They talked about themselves. I asked them, do you know anybody else who has a common experience that you, know, you and I share? And they said, oh yeah, I know so-and-so has a PhD in blah, blah, blah. So I would go on LinkedIn and I would find them. Uh, and often people, in my case, people with PhDs often include that as part of their name on LinkedIn, for example. So um, that made it easier to know that this, I don't know, this Tony Smith is the right Tony Smith, right? It's a very common name. Like, how would I know? Oh, oh Tony Smith, PhD. That sounds right. That's the one I want to talk to. Uh, even if they don't necessarily connect with you, like uh, you can, LinkedIn often will enable you to follow them. So you can begin to see the algorithm will show them coming up and you can see over time, what are they posting about? Are they talking about their colleagues? Like, what are their colleagues doing? You know, you can start to understand a bit about what they're like. And then for me, uh, the city I'm in, uh, we have a big enough uh, UX community that we have every week at least one uh, uh, UX uh, networking event happening. Someone is talking about storytelling or somebody is talking about wireframing or something like this. Uh, so I would use Meetup along with LinkedIn. And I would say, okay, well, I know that this person uh, is going to, um, is, is interesting. I want to talk to them because they made the transition that I want to make. And I see that they've RSVP'd to this event coming up this week. And uh, if, if that's really helpful, because like if there's two events happening in the same week and I can only go to one, I can prioritize the one where I know that Tony Smith PhD is going to be at this one. Because then I can go out there and say like, hey, I've, I've seen your work on LinkedIn. It looks really interesting. I want to talk with you about some more of that. Would you mind if I just pick your brain a little bit? I'd love to know more about how you got to where you are. And that's a really authentic way to connect with somebody. It also does you the favor of helping you be able to prioritize your efforts so that you're not just casting a very wide net and just picking up everything, you know? Yeah, that's a very good way. Uh, that's also how I started out. I remember um, when I first started in UX, that's what I was doing. I was messaging people on LinkedIn. Uh, I downloaded this app called Meetup, and I was able to network uh, with people um, before COVID happened and everything. I was able to meet actually people, grab a beer with them, create a meaningful relationship, and that was uh, that was beautiful. To be honest, uh, there is nothing more valuable than an, an in-person uh, type of relationship that has been built. And that's how you get, to be honest, um, that's how you get like uh, job referrals because you created a, a meaningful relationship with a person. They're gonna remember about you that uh, that time that you made a joke or a beer and uh, gonna get your next UX research role before you know it. For sure, and I think that you 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 bring up a really good point. The the referrals, the value of referrals, right? I think that's the other thing that we have to be honest about with with job searching, is that many people have terrible job descriptions. It's hard to hire people in part because it's hard especially as the organizations get broader and broader um, and don't necessarily have a culture of, for example, product design or UX design, like mm -hmm. many people will not understand what it is that a UX designer or researcher or product designer does, right? 
they won't understand because it's culturally not a part of that organization yet. So they'll have these very generic job descriptions. And so if I rely only on the job descriptions that I see posted on LinkedIn or Indeed or these other places, I might think that like there's something wrong with me or like um, more often people just apply to these things, but it's like you and a thousand other you know, bots spamming their, 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 their job portal. The best way to get a job is by, just as you said, Alessio, like go in meeting somebody. There's definitely more work that needs to be done. There are definitely more jobs to be found by talking with people who need the work done than there are po job postings. And it's easier to understand what you offer and what they need when you can have a conversation. Now, you're, you brought up COVID, sure. It was easier in some ways to have a beer or you know uh, grab a sandwich or something like that in person in 2019. But it's now, what's nice is it's also possible to have that um, kind of conversation. You can, we can do it virtually. So for example, uh, you're in the, the UK, as I understand it, and I'm in the US. Look at us, you know, having a, a lovely chat. We've had a yeah. couple of them now, right? And that was not previously possible, you know? Yeah. It, it, yeah, it, it, literally. The, the whole pandemic broke this bridge in between uh, connecting from, from, for, with people that are uh, from other countries. Sometimes I get, I get students like telling me, ah, how do I network, you know? Uh, and I say, look, why is everybody working remotely nowadays, right? Uh, there, is, there is communities out there and platforms where you can actually connect with people. So start doing it. So Paul, I love everything you said in the podcast episode. Just to wrap up, um, so uh, a few tips for the people that are looking to make this transition. So. Uh, empathize with the people that you're networking with, um, you know, listen more than what you speak. Uh, try to uh, learn something out of the mentorships that you're getting. When you're doing a job search, um, uh, just make sure that, uh, that, uh, that the, the job that you're gonna, uh, that you're trying to get is something that um, you will get some experience from and there will be a mentor. Uh, that can kind of look after your work and um, and uh, take you um, and take you to your next level of uh, UX researcher, and start networking with people remotely and and uh, you know be, be very genuine and uh, and honest about the relationships that you have with these people. Paul, is there anything else that you'd like to add to the episode before uh, we close it? I think to your point, thanks, Alessio. I think to your point, also join the Discord community that you've got, right? Like, my oh, man. <laughs> I sold it to everybody. I can't believe it, even to Paul. Yeah. Uh, uh, seriously, man, I appreciate you saying that. And uh, yeah, you should definitely join it. We, I, I do take my personal time to post job opportunities there for people that are just starting out. Uh, there were some people that are into content writing. I was posting the other day some job opportunities for junior content writers there that are in the UK, they're in the US. I usually post uh, remote job opportunities. Um, so I try to uh, make kind of everybody happy. Um, yeah, join the Discord channel and uh, go on my website, usersfirstpodcast.com, where you can support me for a, a cup of coffee uh, with a cup of coffee or anything else. And, uh, you know, thanks again for listening to Users First. Today we had Paul Boschers, Lead User Experience Researcher at Verizon Connect. Thanks for listening to Users First. Never miss an episode on every possible streaming platform. Thank you, Paul. Hey, thank you, Alessio.